This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. This week's episode comes to you live from the International Fresh Produce Association Global Produce and Floral Show in Florida. It was there that Casey caught up with Dr. Patricio Munoz, blueberry breeder and assistant professor at the University of Florida. They talk about Patricio's work profiling blueberry flavors and using that in his breeding program. Here's Casey and Patricio. Well, Patricio, welcome to the show. I'm very glad to be here again, uh, Casey. It's very exciting to share some of the news that we have. Yeah, well, it's great to see you here in Florida. Of course, this week we're at the new IFPA Global Produce and Floral Show. So it's a mouthful, but uh, it's been a great week here in Orlando. I know this is close to where you're headquartered, and I just thought we'd sit down today and just kind of grab you because I've wanted to talk to you about your work and flavor. So I, I really want to spend some time on that, but I know we've got some other areas that uh, you've been working on that I think our audience would be really interested in hearing about. And so I think it would be great just to spend this time with you here at the show. And, and I appreciate you sitting down with me. Happy to share, you know, I mean, this meeting is exciting. A lot of people, all the players here from different places. So it's in our backyard. So it's, it's great to come and talk to everybody here. Absolutely. Well, one of the reasons I felt like it would be important to sit down and I've been thinking about this for a long time. I mean, you've done a great job of participating. We were in Michigan together. You participated in our chefs tour out there. But one of the things that you're focused on that I think our audience would like to know a lot more about is, is your work in flavor, profiling flavor, because a lot of what we're working on in this industry is a transition from, you know, certainly varieties, but uh, your work is trying to understand what makes for a good flavorful blueberry. And you know, you spoke when we were in Salem a little bit about this as part of the panel, uh, but I wanted to go a little bit deeper with you to talk. What What is it specifically that differentiates what you guys are working on than the traditional approach to trying to find a good tasting berry? Of course, of course. So the University of Florida, you know, started working in flavor back in 2012. That was actually before I arrived uh, in this position. And since then, you know, uh, the program has not stopped every single year. The way it's done for you to understand is every year we select a number of uh, genotypes, you know, uh, potential cultivars and some of them cultivars. And then we run them through uh, large sensory panels. So these sensory panels, they have 100 people usually. And uh, simultaneously, we grab some of the fruit and then we measure all the traditional characteristics like, you know, firmness of the fruit, you know, uh, sugars and acids, the size, the bloom and all those uh, traditional traits. But at the same time, we profile them completely for the volatile characteristics. The volatiles are basically volatile organic compounds. They are some kind of metabolites, you know, natural occurring chemicals in the blueberry fruit that volatilize whenever you shoot the fruit. And then, then you sense them from the, basically you use the same sensors that we, that we use for 
uh, whenever we use our nose to smell something, right? So we do that, and then we try to correlate and try to understand how these different chemical components are related to what people is liking or not liking, right? The second thing is that uh, you need to understand the process and how do we define flavor? That's very important. So we separate flavor in, in two components. And this is going to be the simple definition, right? So it's not going to be, you know, the sensory expert definition, but it's going to be the simple definition. Please. Yes. <laughs> the, one that we, the one that we use and then because that's not our uh, pure area of research, right? So whenever we uh, put something in our mouth, you know, in this case, you know, some blueberries, flavor is going to be decomposed in two parts. What the tongue is able to sense, you know, sugar, acids, uh, bitter, umami, and salty, right? And then as you chew the fruit and there is going to be some chemical compounds naturally occurring in the fruit, in this case, blueberry, right? That volatilize and they go through from the back of your mouth through the same sensors that we have in the base of our brain. And those are actually the ones that gives the complexity beyond, you know, the sugar acids and bitter and all that. So for you to understand how important these uh, volatile organic compounds, again, naturally occurring in, in the fruit, I want you to think, when, for example, you have a cold and then your nose is very stuffy and then you can not smell very well. Well, that's happening there is that your uh, sensors in the base of your brain, you know, they are being blocked and then you cannot use them to sense neither through your nose, but neither from the back of your, of your mouth. And then you taste the fruit and the fruit tastes bland. It tastes like weird, right? So it's a uh, and that's how important these sensors and these chemical compounds are. So then to study what we do, every year, you know, a group of genotypes or potential cultivars, some of them cultivars, we uh, send them to sensory panels and simultaneously we uh, characterize them for these volatile organic compounds plus all the traditional characteristics, for example, size, firmness, sugar and acids, so on and so forth. And then you need to have a large data set to be able to uh, put all this together, right? To say, okay, is people liking fruit that has these chemical compounds or these physical characteristics? And based on that, you know, we have been making good breakthroughs, I would say, to understand what people liking and trying to use that information in our blueberry breeding program to develop blueberries with those characteristics. So... I think you mentioned flavor panels or people, you're, there's still a human element to this, but what you're trying to get to is some sort of correlation between what people say they like and what your ability to scientifically identify what's in a berry that you know people like. Exactly, exactly. So um, again, the fruit is divided whenever we run the sensory panels, we grab a, a portion of that fruit that also goes to the sensory panel to characterize the chemical characteristics. The thing is that these panels have hundreds of people, right? So then, for example, they have five different blueberries and then purposely, you know, lately we select blueberries in a way that spread the range of chemical characteristics that they can found in the fruit, right? And then we have the chemical characteristics and trying to correlate which ones they like and why, right? So if we only have five, we are not going to be able to do this. So through the years, now we have hundreds of data points to say, okay, hundreds of panels that have been run. I mean, uh, last year, for example, we run six panels. So that means 600 people 
that ate blueberry and gave us their liking scores and all the different questions that we asked them in these panels, right? And then we have also at the same time, you know, dozens of uh, different genotypes and now we're putting all that together. Again, like I mentioned, this research started before I arrived and I, my colleagues in the past were able to discover that, yes, these volatiles are important, you know, these chemical components are important. People is able to sense them and so we should be focusing on that. So through time, the research that, for example, we recently did is that we were able to, you know, using kind of artificial intelligence, machine learning and all that, train a model to be able to predict what people will like based on all this bunch of data that we put together. And with that, now we can go to our, you know, breeding populations and say, okay, these genotypes have these characteristics and so people will like before actually, you know, putting them out there. Now, I believe it's very important that this kind of research is out there and is used because I have seen for way too long, you know, I mean, and just six years in this industry, but um, everybody has a strong opinions about what man. flavor is, man. And, and, oh, and man. the thing is that we need some objectivity on this. And then we are trying to take away the subjectivity of the person, for example, the breeder selecting the fruit or, you know, some of the uh, players through the chain saying this is good and this is no good but we are trying to come up with data to say hey this is what people like you know and they are gonna like this we interrupt today's episode for your blueberry crop report an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas today you'll hear from luis vegas in peru and mario ramirez in mexico this was recorded on november 16th 2022 Hello, this is Luis with the crop report from Peru until the end of week 45, which is the week ending on Sunday, November 13th. So up until the end of week 45 of this season, Peru has shipped a total of 467 million pounds of fresh blueberries worldwide. From this total volume, 52% has been shipped to the US, 31% to Europe, 14% to China, and 2% to other destinations. Also, from the total volume shipped throughout the season, 12% have been uh, organics. During week 45, a total of 19.5 million pounds were shipped. 50% of this volume has been sent to the US with around 9.7 million pounds, which are expected to arrive at the US market during the last days of November and first week of December. 35% of the volume shipped during week 45 has been sent to Europe, 13% to China, and 2% to other destinations, including Canada, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Hong Kong, India, Panama, Saudi Arabia, Thailand, and Taiwan. So that's the report for this week from Peru. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Here Mario with the Mexican Blueberries Report for week 45. During this week, Mexico exported a total of 1,437,000 pounds of fresh blueberries to all the world. 1,387,000 pounds was exported to the United States and the resting 50,000 pounds were sent to other destinations like Europe, Asia and South America. From this volume, 211 pounds was organic blueberries. It is around 15% of the total volume. This week, the volume goes down 2% respecting week 44. And in frozen blueberries, Mexico grew up the volumes 20% respecting last week. 
the total volume was 40,500 pounds, representing with this volume 2% of the total United States importation of frozen blueberries on week 45. In weather, we have good temperatures for the production and there are no affectations reported. Thank you very much. See you next week. That's it for today's Blueberry Crop Report. Now back to Casey Cronquist and Dr. Patricio Munoz. And it's going to be fascinating to figure out what that more perfect berry actually is in the minds of people through this research, because you're right. It feels like, you know, we're picking favorites or, you know, I know as somebody who's been asked to do some blueberry tasting, I feel like, am I the best judge of this experience? Because I kind of like a sweet tart berry. I don't want it to be too tart and I don't want it to not have some sweetness to it. And that's me. But. I know people like all the way up to the really tart spectrum and people who can't handle tart at all. And it's just interesting that we have all this subjectivity within our own industry on what we think that tastes like, but we, we really don't appreciate probably, I think to the degree that I think you're making this good argument that there's some objectivity about what tastes good. And then a spectrum of that, I would imagine that we'd find people looking to buy on and and again, we're, you know, this would be an interesting conversation to also kind of get your sense about how this would work on marketing varieties, which, you know, we're not doing today, but there is, you know, certain varieties that are being sold based on a description, right? Whether it's jumbo or sweet or so these characteristics are becoming known to consumers that, you know, I don't, I don't think I've seen a berry being sold as a tart berry yet, but this is where you're headed in just being able to kind of foreshadow at least a flavor profile that people can experience and already predict that this particular berry is going to have. The other part that the industry has not recognized, and I was very glad to see the research that the U.S. Uh, High Bush Council is doing, is the segmentation that exists in our consumers, right? So those statistics that you guys use are, are showing up are great because we now we know who is eating blueberries, who is eating them more often, you know, what are the different categories of consumers that we have. That segmentation exists for flavor too. So it's naive to think that we can just have one, you know, flavor profile that we fit all. Because it doesn't. So like if you have, you know, a small group of people, even for example, in your office and you put, you know, 10 um, varieties in front of them, different people is going to like different blueberries. Now, historically, we are been trying to breed for the average. And for sugar and acids, you know, but with a recent study that we did, we showed that in reality, sugar and acids are half only, they explain half only of what consumers like. The other half comes from these volatile organic compounds. So that's so important to understand this. So recently, you know, in another study, we created this uh, flavor wheel for blueberries. I think I have shown it to you. Yeah, we need, we need to put that out there, you know, because right now it's in a scientific publication, but we need to put it out there so for everybody to see it and to use it. You know, in this flavor wheel, basically, we have all the different chemical compounds that a blueberry has, and then what flavor profile they elicit uh, whenever you eat that fruit. So then you can start observing what is happening. One of the things that I always mention is that one portion of that flavor wheel is very bad chemicals, you know, from the flavor point of view. 
and they give you the sensation to eat in something rotten, uh, you know, and then we call that the wet dog or, or wet sock uh, flavor. And it's disgusting, you know, and I'm glad that consumers are not tasting that because obviously people like me and my team, you know, and other breeders, we are the gatekeepers for, for flavor in that sense, you know. Those are very easy to distinguish because they are disgusting. Those are the ones that you put in your mouth and you need to spit out like right away, you know, within seconds. But anyway, you know, this is uh, an exciting area for this research. And I know that there is other people doing research in this area as well. We just need to increase and understand more the consumer, this segmentation. Hopefully in the future, we can target these different segments with different flavors and different flavor profiles. Well, I think this is a good segue into how this impacts breeding programs like yours, right? So if you understand that, you know, this is a dynamic of flavor that the average or specific consumers want, or if we're trying to target a certain flavor profile because you know this is a niche population that really enjoys this flavor characteristic, your breeding program is going to use that information to judge the different crosses and the program that you're developing. But you just released a new variety, and I thought we could talk about your breeding program and this new variety and, and, and maybe connect that dot on how your work in flavors impacting your breeding program. Of course, of course. So, you know, the University of Florida is the oldest um, southern high bush or low chilled uh, breeding program uh, in the planet because um, basically this category of blueberries were developed at the University of Florida the same way that we uh, developed Gatorade. If in the case that you didn't know that, <laughs> I, you know, I have heard that. Yeah, I've heard about the Gatorade. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, in 1950s, you know, the first hybridizations with the northern high bush with locally adapted blueberries uh, from the south, from Florida specifically, were uh, made, you know, the crosses. And then the first cultivar, Chart Blue, was released in 1976. Since then, the program has released more than 40 cultivars, and we have worked collaboratively with many different companies all over the globe, basically, to release cultivars. So in that process, you know, um, we have had a, a great experience working uh, with our collaborators, industry institutions, and so on and so forth. Well, recently, our breeding program also, you know, releases cultivars, of course. And the newest one is the one that we're calling Albus. And we call it Albus because Albus comes from white in Latin. And it was a recommendation of, of one of my colleagues, uh, Gerardo Nunez. So, you know, thanks, Gerardo, for that. And... This cultivar, we're very excited because it's, it's recommended in the case of the Southeast, it's recommended for Central uh, Florida. It's a very high yielding cultivar. It starts earlier and then it carries through the whole season, you know, with very good characteristics. And then we did run it through sensory panels. So right, you know, up to now, the way we do it is that every cultivar we release is usually run for sensory panels up to three years so that 300 people has test this um, fruit and then have to give their opinion if they like it or not. So uh, we are very excited. The producers are very excited. Now we have planted it several parts in the state already and then it's making uh, his way up. Wow. Congratulations. That's always exciting. It's always exciting. Yeah, yeah. to see a release of a, of a cultivar and... And certainly your program is world known for these different varieties that you guys have, have been responsible for and, and really remarkable as to how much influence the universities had on the, on the program. So in that way, it feels like as a university, certainly as a breeding program, uh, established not only a reputation globally, but on campus, you guys have become known as the blueberry 
Institute. I, you know, so talk to me a little bit about this this new building that you've built. There now is a an entire facility dedicated to what you do, and uh, I saw that recently released, actually before we got here to the show, news about the, I don't know if you've done a ribbon cutting yet. I hope not. I'd like to go to it. But anyway, there's uh, a new facility. So I thought you could talk about, you know, how that came about. How is it that the university has dedicated a building to blueberries? Yeah, no, of course. Um, I was talking before about Gatorade, you know, the blueberries have become very successful in that sense also. Uh, the impact of, of this program globally, as you're mentioning, is, you know, is, is no unprecedented because of Gatorade, of course, but uh, it's a great impact. Imagine developing this category of blueberries. Now we have blueberries, all the blueberries that are grown in Peru, North Chile, you know, Mexico, Morocco, all of those come from this category. And those are great, you know, industries, very large industries that they were created because of this. Uh, when I was hired, you know, I was uh, asked to bring this program to another level. And then, you know, one moment I came to the idea that, well, we, to get it there, we need better facilities. Um, I was very glad that, you know, my boss at that time support the idea and then we run it through the ranks. And, and then, uh, you know, two, three years later, we are ready to go into uh, a new building. The team has, you know, grown a lot too. So then we need a place to put all the people that we have in the program. Yeah. How many are on your team? Oof. Um, I think now we are close to 30 uh, people. So uh, some of them purely dedicated to the breeding program and some, um, a lot of them doing just research of very different uh, kinds. But all of them with the objectives of, of plant breeding and then develop better cultivars. So yes, the new building is going to have, you know, three labs. One of them is going to be dedicated to tissue culture, another one dedicated to fruit quality, another one dedicated to molecular biology. So. The idea is that we are able to uh, keep impacting the, the industry and contributing to our category to increase, you know, consumption of blueberries. That's our goal. Well, it's an investment and certainly something that, you know, will reflect a legacy of, you know, your work and the work of those before you and really impressive tribute, actually, by the university to the work that's gone on for blueberries for all these decades. And congratulations to you and the team for... Uh, erecting this impressive facility that's going to, you know, help drive the work you're doing, certainly the understanding we have for blueberries, all the research that we're talking about here that uh, is still yet to be done. And that's what's so fascinating about this this particular berry. It's like, you know, it feels in many ways like we're just at the beginning of understanding all these things. And I know, uh, you know, it's been discussed before. We're following the path of other products or other produce items that people have been able to get to know but still feels like we're at the beginning of this work yeah and you know in that regard i think uh given that we we are kind of following the path that other produce uh, have gone through you know uh, going from you know no very well known fruit all the way now to a mature globally known and and with high house penetration i think we as an industry we need to look into that and we need to learn you know what was done well and what was done not very well and then try to avoid some of those mistakes and i think you guys are doing a great job uh into that area but also you know you mentioned something very important i want to give you know the credit to who deserve it you know i mean i'm the fourth generation breeder in this institution um, 
you know, so each of the breeders in the past have contributed a lot to what we are today. You know, for example, Sharp Blue was the visionary that envisioned this new blueberry category. And he's the one that created all this, right? Yep. And then we have, you know, Paul Larine, uh, you know, one of the most highly productive uh, blueberry breeders that we have, you know, with dozens and dozens of cultivars that he released through his career. And he still, you know, comes back to, to the lab and he keeps working uh, with us. So it's fascinating to have him there uh, doing what he, what he loves. Um, Jim Olmsted, after him, you know, he worked in the program as well. And uh, basically each of them has contributed a lot to the program. And my legacy to the program, I wanted to be that this program has been run for 70 years. Yep. And I want to leave the ground ready for running for 70 years more. You know, I'm done planning to retire, but uh, uh, that's what I'm trying to build. Yeah, well, you did a great job. And I think, you know, all those examples of the way in which it's grown over the years, manifested in a facility that really pays tribute to all that dedicated effort is what I think that building represents. I know for you, but certainly for the university and congratulations. That is a, uh, certainly an achievement, you know, to not just find space on a campus to do some work, but actually have a, an entire facility dedicated to the work going forward. So uh, job well done. That's going to be a really great future. Yeah. Yeah. This might not be, you know, incredible from a, uh private point of view but uh, for us is is big to being able to have you know our own facility to carry blueberry breathing research uh, you know and all these people dedicated just to that to contribute to the industry absolutely well hey it's been great to have you on the show I know uh, we will continue this conversation with you as you continue to do this research of course and keep releasing those new varieties that we're counting on to help make you know, blueberries, the world's favorite fruit. And, and we got some time last night uh, at a reception, which we called the world's favorite fruit reception and uh, had the industry get together. And it was great to have you there. And certainly just the entire industry kind of getting on the same page about what we're trying to do moving forward here with the breeding, with the equipment that we use to harvest and post-harvest and eventually why we're here at IFPA to get it in the hands of retailers who can give it to consumers. So, you know, like I said last night, you know, this effort of driving demand is a team sport and we certainly appreciate the work you guys are doing to help make that happen. Of course, we are doing our part and then we see that you guys are playing a big role in this and then uh, we are here to support in any way that we can. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show again. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for episode 119. Thank you so much for listening. As Casey always likes to say, we'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Blueberries.